This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It's Friday and we close out another week. We'd like to close out strong with your phone calls and questions. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life. Uh, and we dedicate this program for that very purpose. If you've got questions, you've got something going on in your life that you don't understand, all you need to do is call us, and I'll do the best that I can to direct you to what the Word of God says. You can call 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Uh, numerically, that's 630-5757. Uh, if you uh, want to email a question to us, you can email questions at calvarysa.com, uh, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR uh, mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Let's close the week with uh, a good show today. A couple of quick things tonight. I'm going to be teaching um, in Second Peter chapter three. Uh, first, uh, I think I'm going to try to get the first twelve verses. Uh, it's all about Jesus coming back, and we need to be ready for it. So it's one of my favorite topics. And then tomorrow, and I mentioned this uh, all of the days uh, this week, except for yesterday on Paula's show. Um, um, tomorrow uh, at 10.30, 10.30 to 12.30, um, we here at Calvary Chapel, my leadership class, we call it the Pastor's Discipleship Class, is going to be talking about the race issue that's dividing our country, the race issue that is now before us, everything that we read, everything that we watch on television or listen to uh, on the radio. It's always there, and we need, as the Church of Jesus Christ, to be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. I know that sounds obvious, um, but the truth of the matter is is we, we really don't talk about these things. And what I hope to accomplish tomorrow is to, uh, to, to provide a biblical perspective. This is what the church ought to be doing and how we ought to be doing it. Um, uh, hopefully there'll be some people there that will be honest, honest enough to say, well, you know, I've got some issues uh, that, that I have to let God deal with. If we can do that, we will accomplish the purpose and God will be glorified. And I would like to extend the invitation to come to anybody in the listening audience who wants to come. It's a very, very casual event. Uh, I'll be wearing shorts and a t-shirt and and flip-flops. So um, nobody has to dress up. It's not a church day. It's a day just for people to get around and talk. And so that's what we're going to do tomorrow. That's 1030 to 1230. We here at Calvary Chapel have Saturday morning prayer uh, every Saturday at 930. And then uh, when that's over, we will go into the pastor's discipleship class. And again, you are free to join us. We would love it. Uh, don't worry about being a stranger. You'll only be a stranger for a couple of minutes. And uh, we'd like to like to have you here. Okay, let's get to some questions that have been sent in. And we've got Felipe holding on line one from San Antonio. Felipe, thanks for your patience. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, it's it's been a long time since I called in. Well, how you doing, uh, my friend? Uh, a little short of breath right now. I was doing some some work uh, outside, but I just <laughs> wanted to um, let everyone know um, that I have uh, been set a trial before me. So this call is is a call for prayer and encouragement. 
So mm-hmm. Monday, I am scheduled to go to undergo open heart surgery. There was a defect found in my heart. Um, I was getting some symptoms, so I've done procedures. Everything's been um, cleared. Coronavirus kind of delayed it a little bit, but we're cleared to go on Monday. I should be, I go in at 6, and my actual surgery is scheduled for 8.30, uh, and they'll prep me and all that beforehand. Um, that being said, I, I've during this time, I've been able to use it as an encouragement to to others that are dealing with things. And, and of course, I'm an open book. If it can help, you know, anyone along their walk, then I'm going to use that for the Lord's glory. Mm-hmm. So I've had moments of, of weakness. And for those of you that are that are going through things, it's okay, you know, to be scared. But... Don't let that fear control you. So a couple months ago, I was about to do some yard work, as I'm actually doing presently. But uh, I was in a moment of weakness. And I said, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. You know, I need your help. And I, I didn't expect to do it on my own to begin with because the Lord's been by my side. And And as I was mowing the lawn, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this has been around for many years, but the symptoms have only been made known now because now you're ready. Now you're mature in me. And also, the Lord spoke to me and said, do you trust me? I will not leave you, and I will not forsake you. My response, of course, is I trust you, Lord. So I pray, you know, that through this, we pray for uh, surgery with no complications, quick recovery, all of that, of course. But if those prayers are not answered, I pray that everyone that knows me, as a result of this situation, grows closer to God. And I hope I'm able to recover enough that I'll be able to join you guys at the retreat in September. So I appreciate and covet all of your prayers. I miss you all dearly, Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. You know, we're doing uh, our thing at Calvary Northwest with Pastor Ellis, and we, we, we love you guys. And Pastor Ron, I just I want to thank you for your teachings that have, you know, given me this strength and this foundation to, to have this step, step of faith and boldness. And I'm about to turn 11 years old. In the Lord, 9-11, this year, and it was at a retreat that I accepted Amen. the Lord, and actually it was you that pe- that prayed over me, Pastor Ron. So, you know, I, I just, I, I love all of you. I thank you for all of your prayers, and, and I'll end with that, and, and just stay close to the Lord, no matter what you're going through. He will see you through. Well, Felipe, before you hang up, let me just say, you know, I know what you're going through. And uh, we will be praying. Please have Jordan uh, contact us some way. Let us know how everything is going. And we will be praying for you constantly. And um, I'm confident that you will do great and you will honor the Lord even as a patient. And um, uh, I'm sorry you're going through this. But but, uh, as you said, he's with you and you can trust him. God bless you, my friend. Pastor Ron, I I did want to say something. So also, the hospital I'm going to be at, is allowing no visitors at this time. So I will be by myself in, in human, with human interaction, but I will be with the Lord, and I will use that time to draw nearer and closer to Him. But a, a, a blessing that just came out about one of the church members at Calvary San Antonio actually works pretty close with that office, and he told me that he would come and pray with me. So what a blessing. Yeah, praise the Lord. We've got medical people everywhere. It's just something God's done for us. So, so uh, keep, keep us informed. Please tell Jordan I'll be praying and keep us posted on what's going on, okay? Will do. I love you all. Thank you, Felipe. God bless you. 
God bless you. And Philippe, Philippe, if you haven't hung up yet or if you're still listening to the radio, uh, we just got approval today for our retreat to go on. Uh, We we thought we were going to be locked out, but the retreat center let us know today that we're good to go for September. So uh, we'll keep you guys posted. Let's go to a California phone call from Cammie online, too. I hope I got the name right. Cammie, are you there? Cammie going once. Okay, Cammie, I'm sorry. Uh, Are you there? Okay, let's go to a phone call. Cammie, if you are listening, uh, phone lines are empty, so you can uh, um, let the operator know that you're there, and I'll take you right away. Zach wrote in with a question. He said, in the Lord's Prayer, why did Jesus teach us to ask uh, for him to lead us, but not into temptation. Jesus would never lead us into temptation. Um, Zach, if you think about it, this is a wonderful picture. And, and this isn't really Jesus's prayer. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. And then by extension, he's teaching us to pray. And so, Zach, what he's saying is, is if you will follow me, you'll be going in the opposite direction of temptation. And I hope that makes sense to you. If Jesus is leading... And, and our prayer is, Lord, you lead us, and then we will not go into temptation. It's not as though Jesus is going to say, well, you know, today I think I'm going to lead him into temptation. That's not at all what it means. It's just Jesus saying, as we pray, this is how we ought to pray, lead us. And I'm going to add a few words here just to make the sense clear. Uh, so we won't be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that's what Jesus is saying there, Zach, uh, and it's a really, really great prayer. You know, um, Zach, it's probably been more than 20 years now, but, but I remember the first time I, I actually taught uh, the Lord's model for prayer out of the Gospel of Matthew. And I remember thinking, um, well, you know, Lord, we all pray, we know how to pray, but when I really tore that prayer up. I mean, it, it's like I, I was i was really dissecting it. Uh, Zach, that changed my life. I mean, it changed my life. It gave my prayer depth. Now, we're not just to repeat the prayer verbatim. That's not the purpose of it. But what we're supposed to do is is to, to, to just sort of take that line by line and really, really think about it. Jesus said to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. Now think about that. Before the prayer has any value at all, he's got to be your father. This just isn't a prayer for the masses. It's not a general God prayer that you can throw out there. But, but you've really got to search your own heart. Right at the beginning, can I rightly call him my father? And, and every single line has nuance there. And it's sort of like, filling in the blanks. You know, we get a, an outline of something and then God, as you meditate on that prayer, he'll fill in the blanks. So when you get to read a prayer like this, Jesus, lead us, not into temptation. That's the opposite way we'll be going from temptation. We'll be going with you. And we'll be in that place where we know we can be in your perfect will. So Zach, that's what he meant there. And I hope that uh, answers your question. Thanks very much. Here is a question from Tim. Uh, Is communion the literal body and blood of Jesus, or is it merely symbolic? Tim, it's symbolic, but I don't like the use of the word merely. Um, Jesus said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Paul quotes Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're to do it in a memorial fashion. But it's not like, well, if it doesn't become the literal body of the Lord... Um, then then it loses its value. It's not that at all. We're told to remember these things until he comes. When he comes, we won't have to remember them anymore. But when we partake of that cracker, is it really Jesus' body? The answer is no. When he said, take and eat, this is my body, he was still in his physical body. So Tim, he was speaking figuratively. And I like to explain that what he was doing was giving the 12, and you always have to take the, the, the specific context into heart and mind. Um, what you really need to do 
is see who he was talking to and why. And what he was doing was he was giving those who were his disciples at the time previews of coming attractions. He might as well have said to him, now look, they're going to take me out, they're going to beat me, they're going to beat me unrecognizable even as human in form. You're going to watch me die on that cross. But I'm doing it for you. Don't be caught off guard. Don't lose hope. I'm doing it because I love you. And especially the part with with the, the body and what it represents, the beating that he took, the, the, the acceptance of God's wrath for your sins and mine is so beautiful because it's just Jesus saying, I love you too much to watch you suffer, so I'll suffer in your place. That's why penal substitutionary atonement is such a critical doctrine. And communion isn't enhanced one bit by the belief that it becomes his body. In fact, it cheapens the value of communion. We're supposed to remember when we come to the table of the Lord that he did this for us. We're to remember the height and width and depth and breadth of his love. And so this belief that, that this is really his body, his physical presence, is based on religious superstition, traditionalism, and has no merit in the body of Christ. Now, it's not one of those issues that we separate over. It's not a Christian essential. But it is superstitious, it's religious, and it goes beyond what was intended. And when we take the blood of Christ, the, 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 the means by which we are cleansed of our sin, we who are New Testament believers, we know that that cup that we hold is a cup of grace, God's unmerited favor. And we know that it is by grace we are saved, through faith. And we remember what he did, the price that was paid, that we could stand before God righteous and holy and pure. So, Tim, it's, it's a memorial service. It's one that ought to be done with great reverence and great gratitude. But it is not the literal body of Jesus that we are partaking of in the symbol of the cracker. Good question. Thanks very, very much. Have we got Cammie back on the line? Nope. Okay. Um, Cammie, if you're out there, we'd love to hear your call from California. Paul says, I am struggling to find truth between Calvinism and Arminianism. Can you help me? Well, Paul, I can't. I, I'll help you a little bit, but this is a, a question that um, people in church have been arguing about for 2,000 years. Um, Calvinism, and what he's talking about as it relates to Armenianism, is uh, simply uh, two extremes, um, biblical extremes, um, and yet all extremes are unhealthy and out of balance. Uh, A Calvinist would talk about the security of the believer. Um, You know, uh, uh, once saved, always saved. If you're really saved, the Armenian would say, no, 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 God wouldn't override our free will so we can lose our salvation or we can walk away from our salvation. And the balance, Paul, is exactly in the middle of those two positions. And if you read the Bible with no systematic filter, just read it for what it says. You're going to read passages that seem to say that that if you're a Christian, but you want to walk away from God, if you live a life filled with sin, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're coming from a Calvinist perspective, you're going to read the same scripture and say, no, those people were never really Christians. Um, the truth is in the middle. And I think our struggling with Calvinism versus Arminianism is really based on our need to know who's saved and who's not saved. I mean, we see so many people in our church culture who make professions of faith and they start out so well and we're sure they're saved, but they don't last. And so we want to know, were they really saved? Were they ever saved? I had a family in the church not too long ago 
uh, who who got saved in the ministry of a pastor who fell deeply into sin and just blew up a church and sort of walked away from the Lord. And, and, and this family wants to know, well, well, was he ever really saved? That's God's job. What I can say is if he ever really was saved, he is saved, and God will go get him. It's going to cost him. He's done as a pastor, of course. But Paul, what I'm trying to communicate to you is to avoid the extremes. The biblical balance is where you're going to find Jesus. The biblical balance is where you're going to find the truth. I am not a Calvinist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, When you talk about uh, the doctrines of limited atonement, I think that is one of the cruelest and most untrue doctrines that a real Christian can hold to. And I see it damaging so many Christian walks. God didn't die for everybody. He only died for a chosen few. He only died for the elect. But that's in complete contrast to what the Bible says. Arminianism makes people always doubt their salvation. Well, how do I know I'm saved? Well, I guess you've got to wait till you get to heaven and find out. Well, Jesus wants us to know we're secure. Read 1 John. The whole point of 1 John is that you may know that you're saved. And I mean know for a fact, an unchangeable fact. And so what we've got to do, Paul, is really see what the Bible says and respond to that instead of somebody's systematic theology um, that's going to sort of lay over the scriptures and, and color our understanding of the scriptures. Good question. 340-9585. We have five minutes here, so let's see what we've got on this question. Dave says, how would I respond to someone who says they're not a sinner and don't need to be saved? Uh, Dave, you know what I would do is I would tell them that they just lied and lying is a sin. That's really important. You know, I've, I've had people try to drag me into these debates. Well, we're not sinners, we're saints. And the Bible teaches, yeah, we're saints if you're born again, but we're saints who sin continually because we've got this struggle between flesh and spirit. The Apostle Paul, to my view, the single greatest human ever used by God to advance the gospel. And Paul in Romans chapter 7 talked about his own struggle with sin. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And the only conclusion that he could come to was that he was a wretch. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then finally the hope is there. Who can deliver me from this body of death? And he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So Dave, if Paul confesses he's a sinner. John, in 1 John, says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. So the people who say we're not a sinner, well, they have no biblical understanding at all. And they've been sold a bad theology. Um, And so it would be easy to prove. Um, You know, I can can look at that person and say... um, just using the Ten Commandments. I can prove that you sin. Do you have adulterous thoughts? Do you have sexual fantasies? Do you ever get mad, lose your temper? I already used, do you ever lie? Have you lied? And see, that points us out. That identifies us as being sinners. And so I would tell somebody, Dave, now they've got to be honest because this is very often sort of a dishonest argument, somebody trying to justify what they do and why they do it. The truth is, in my flesh is nothing good. And it doesn't matter whether you're saved or you're not saved. When you're being controlled by the flesh, sin is what we do. And if we're unwilling to be honest about that, then there's really not much that you can say to this person except that, well, especially if you know them, look, I know you well enough to know that you sin. I actually had a guy that I knew pretty well try to tell me a few years back that he um, he doesn't sin anymore. He's gotten to the point where he's over sin. I had another person in church not too long ago who didn't stay here because of this conversation, 
But he said, no, 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 we're not sinners. We've overcome sin. And we had to talk about it. That's simply not true. And he didn't like my answer. So we, rather than deal with what the Word says, he just left the church. But in order to be saved, the one thing that we've got to understand is that we're sinners. And then as we are in the process of sanctification, that's the process of being made more like Jesus every day, we've got to understand that every time, and I don't mean most times, every single time that we're in the flesh rather than being controlled by the Spirit of God, every single time we're going to sin. And when we sin, we have an advocate There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who washes away our sins and restores the fellowship that we had with God. Good question, Dave. We've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Let's go to a question sent in by Ida. Uh, she says, Matthew 16 was Peter the Rock and was he the first pope? Um, Ida, the answer to both your questions is no. Um, Peter was not the rock. The statement of faith. Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That statement of faith is the rock. Now, there's a real clear play on words. If you look at Greek, Peter, um, when, when he, Jesus change his name. His name was Simon. He changed his name. And the idea there for, for Simon is shifting sand. And Peter, the name is a pebble. I'm going to give you a foundation, Peter. That, that's the purpose of the name change. So when he said uh, to Peter that um, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church, Uh, Peter's a little pebble, but the rock is a massive stone. And so that word picture is, is, is intentional. And the massive stone is a statement of faith. So, believing in Christ, he is the Son of God, who is God the Son. And when we believe that by faith, then we have put our feet squarely on that massive rock, that foundation of the church. Now, to the question of whether he was the first pope, um, either the Catholic Church, as we understand it, the Catholic Church in Rome, didn't even begin until 313 AD under the Emperor Constantine, and there is um, almost no historical or secular evidence that he ever committed anything to God, that he was ever really saved in the sense. But he was the, the, the head of the whole world, and and so whatever religion he said was uh, the official religion, the world was the official religion, and he claimed Christianity as the official religion. He had his own personal motives. I won't go into those now, but um, Peter, we know, died in the first century. So I know that Catholics go through a bunch of mental gymnastics to trace their Pope's genesis all the way to Peter. But that's simply not true. It's simply not true. It's not only bad um, biblical exegesis, but it's it's also really, really bad um, understanding of, of, of time and space. 
So he wasn't the first pope. He was never a pope. Peter, you can read it in his own epistles, the servant of God. That's all, just the servant of God who was named an apostle. And he was used by God to do marvelous things, but he, uh, he certainly wasn't the first pope. I had one thing to think about. Peter, we know from Scripture, was married. Um, popes can't be married. So, what happened? So, throw away the Catholic theology. It's not, not good theology. George says, Pastor, on the rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to obtain eternal life. Don't you think we all ought to be asking the same questions of God? Um, George, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by this question. When I got it um, yesterday, I was thinking, um, trying to figure out where you were coming from. Um, the only thing that we ought to be asking of God is, is answering the question, who's Jesus? The rich young ruler was trying to get to heaven without sacrifice. Uh, he walked away from the encounter with Jesus sad. So uh, please don't misunderstand. When we come to Jesus, the only question we have is, who, who's, who are you? If you're God, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to follow you. That's the only question, the only answer that really, really matters. Now, there are people who have grown up in legalistic church traditions and some religious traditions that believe that we are saved by a combination of faith and works, which is heresy. So um, they will all say, well, okay, God, what do I have to do to make you happy? I tell my church all the time, George, that all I want for people to learn is that he's already pleased. We're accepted in the Beloved. Now, we can blow it and we can have our fellowship broken for a time because of unrepentant sin, but God loves you, and just because he's God, his love is infinite. He can't love you any more or any less. He doesn't love you more when you do good things. He doesn't love you less when you do bad things. So the idea of works being involved in our salvation is completely foreign to what Scripture teaches. Now, are there things that we ought to ask God? Sure. Find out what pleases the Lord, Paul writes. So when I go out and I talk and walk with the Lord, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him, Lord, I wanna I wanna love you more. I wanna please you more. Fill me with your spirit. Give me direction. You know, it's not that I need to, but because he loves me so much and he sacrificed so much for me, I want to. Offer my body, as Paul suggests in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. See, if we'll go there, then it's okay to say, okay, Lord, what do you want from me? But it's not a thing to get saved, or it's not something that, that, that helps us be pleasing to God or somehow acceptable to God. We come to God on the basis of Jesus Christ. And three times in our New Testament, we're told that the voice from heaven pronounced, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. Do what he says. Listen to him. Other, other translations. But, but the idea is we're already pleasing to the Lord. So yeah, every day, Lord, what about me and what about today? But, but it's no pressure on it in terms of, well, i got to be saved. You're going to be mad at me if I don't do something. And I think, George, that too often it's so comfortable for us to come to God on the basis of, well, what do you want me to do? i got to do something. And, and frankly, I've seen over the years that approach keep a lot of people away from the kingdom of God. To get saved, we've got to really come to that place where we, we confess that we can do nothing for you, Lord. You've done everything for me. While we were ungodly, Christ died for us. And we didn't have to do anything. The rich young ruler didn't have to walk away from that encounter said. I think about the thief on the cross. Two thieves involved in the same crimes. Two thieves equidistant from Jesus on either side both of them able to see everything that was being done and hear everything that he said. Why was one of them affected and the other one wasn't? It wasn't because one of them did good stuff. 
It was because one of them recognized that Jesus was God. He recognized that he was guilty of his own sins. He deserved what he was getting. He asked his compatriot, he said, do you have no fear of God? And that change of heart is what saved him. So the only question we have to ask God is, okay, Lord, what about me and what about today? You get to that point, George, and things will be really clear for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Roger. Uh, Pastor on Colossians 1 says Jesus is the firstborn over creation. But he wasn't the first one born. So what am I supposed to do about that? Well, the, the word first, firstborn, it's uh, prototos. And um, uh, uh, the active word is prototokos. And uh, it means the preeminent one, or it's first in terms of priority. Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't the firstborn human. That would be Cain. But Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he has priority over every other person that's ever been born into this world. Now, there's biblical precedent for this. Jesse had seven sons, we're told. And David is called the firstborn, though we know he was the youngest. So David is the one that has the biblical priority. That's the same idea in the Old Testament. That's exactly the same idea that's being communicated here. Jesus is the preeminent man over all mankind. And that's what he's talking about that. So, uh, Roger, it's just a good word study. Here is an anonymous question. I'm worried that many people won't be coming back to church because they watch online. Um, Anonymous, there's a whole bunch of pastors worried about that as well. Um, You know, you think about it, it's been, um, uh, if my my math is right, we were quarantined for nine weeks here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, we've been back five weeks. And uh, that means it's been 14 weeks since I've seen some people. Now, our people are keeping in contact with text and phone calls and things. Uh, Every once in a while, they'll swing by the church when there are people. But there's a lot of people who are just in compromised, physically compromised situations. And uh, they have to play it safe. And um, most of them are going to be fine. um, but, But I, too, worry about the people. Isolation is not good. And uh, it, we get too easily wrapped up in our routines. And I can tell you, nine weeks that we were quarantined, it was hard for me to get back into the routine of regular church. The first time I came back and did three services, it was like, wow, I'm not sure I'm in shape for this yet. Um, so, yeah, we worry, we pray. Um, stay in contact with people that you're worried about, concerned about. Um just let them know that you're praying for them, that you miss them, that you love them. And if they need anything, you're available to help. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who's got to do the work in their heart when it's time for them to come back. But um, we, we live in a spiritually lazy world. And it's sure easy to get in the routine of sleeping in and watching a live stream recorded whenever it's convenient for you. It's it's easy to get up, put on a robe, and, and sit around and and uh, watch um, the service instead of getting up and going. Remember, for those of you who are still at home, we're meant to be together. We're to use the gifts that God has given us to minister to one another. Church isn't about you. Our job is to make church about the other people who are there. And as we're serving, God will pour out his spirit upon us. So we all worry about the people who aren't coming back or who haven't come back yet. Um, so pray for them. That's all we can do. We can pray for them. Let's go to Jimmy calling from San Antonio on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yeah, I want to ask you about um, uh, fasting. Since I've been a Christian, I've never fasted in my Christian walk. So, 
I, I can do that, Jimmy. Jimmy, can you wind? Can you listen on the radio? Your phone is making a lot of noise in the background. Um, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, fasting is the denial of a physical need or or even just a physical want. And the idea there is we're, we're saying to the Lord that I'm willing to deny myself in order to get closer to you. And there's all kinds of different fasts. Fasting is not something that we're required to do. But there are times when the Lord will move on our heart to meet him in a deeper, more intimate way. And sometimes the way we can do that is through fasting. Now, Isaiah 58 is the authoritative scripture on fasting in all of the Bible. Isaiah 58 tells us what a real fast is. There is no value. I want to say that again very clearly. There's no value in going hungry if you're being disobedient to the Lord. There's no value in going hungry if you're holding on to unforgiveness or if you're an angry person and you're sinning and you're not repenting. The idea of fasting is to be close to Jesus, sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. So fasting certainly has a place in the Christian life, um, but it's not required. We, we need to remember always the Jewishness of the gospel accounts. And when Jesus talks about fasting, Jews fasted. That was part of the, 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 their liturgy. And so they would fast, and they'd make a big show of it, and Jesus would say, that's not fasting. You know, you're, you, 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 when you fast, wash your face. Put oils on. Don't let anybody know. This isn't a, a, a religious show you're putting on. And too often, Jimmy, I think we are fasting in order to get something from God, in order to, well, now he has to answer me. If I fast, God will give me what I'm asking for. Um, believe me, if you do the fast correctly, you do it with the right heart, in the right way, he will always meet you, but often it's going to have nothing to do with what your original motive for fasting was all about. So, Jimmy, for you and for anybody else who wants to know what God really means by fasting, read Isaiah chapter 58. I've done a Bible study on it not too long ago. Uh, you can find it uh, in, in the Isaiah uh, folder uh, in our Old Testament Bible studies at calvarysa.com. Good question, Jimmy. Sorry for the noise at this time on your phone. Here's a question from Yoli. What does it mean to be an image bearer of God? Um, Yoli, two things, uh, essentially. Um, um, it doesn't, certainly doesn't mean that we look like him, um, but it means that we're created in his image and, and we're creating his image in two primary ways. The first is that once we're born, we're going to live somewhere forever. We're eternal. As God always was. When, when Moses said, uh, who, who should I say send me? And God said, tell him, I am sent you. That means he, he always was, he always is, and he always will be. And when we're born, we're born in the image of his eternity. So we're going to live somewhere forever. We have to make the choice while we're alive in this world about where that forever is going to be spent. So that's the first thing. The second thing that being created in this image means is that we all have the capacity to choose. We can choose right versus wrong. We can choose to serve. Um, you know, God, God chose us, uh, but we have to choose him back. And so being created in his image is that 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 opportunity, the freedom that we're given to, cho to choose. And that's basically what it means. I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff, especially with all of the race um, discussions going on. Well, we're all image bearers of God, so there should be no prejudice. While that statement is true, that's not what being made in the image of God is all about. God, I promise you, sees no color. God, I promise you, isn't coming at the solutions to racism in this world or in this country um, on the basis of, well, um, uh, the, the, the blacks or the browns have suffered, and so uh, I've got to make it up to them. He, he doesn't see that. He sees saved and unsaved. So that's all that it means, Jolie. And I know that um, phrase is passed around a lot, um, on social media, 
um, people trying to debate and argue about all the things that are going on. Um, we have the capacity to love. And if we're really made in the image of God, then we would love the people he loved. And we know that God loved the world, the whole of the world. That leads to my next question. This one is from Olivia. She says, can racism ever be cured? Um, Olivia, the answer to your question is yes, but it's not going to be cured. There's no solution till Jesus comes. It's like people say, well, I just want peace in my life. Well, there's never any peace in your life without the Prince of Peace. So remember, the world that we live in is a world that's, that's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, Olivia. It's not going to get better. It's not going to... We're going to wake up one day, there's going to be rainbow in the clouds, and we're going to suddenly be hit with, with uh, spiritual skittles. That's not the direction the world is going in. So racism will be cured. The Bible says Jesus is going to judge the nations find out whether they're sheep belong to him or goats imposters and um, when he comes and judges and this will be in his millennial reign and he judges the nations of the world from that point forward um, race will never be an issue nowhere on the face of the earth that's when racism is, racism is going to be cured now let me say this Olivia, and remember I'm going to be talking about this very thing tomorrow here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio at 10.30, from 10.30 to 12.30. And if you are interested, Olivia, anybody listening to this is interested in coming, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, we'll have a discussion. We'll just be a monologue. We'll have a discussion. And um, um, one of the things I'm going to tell people is, as a church, as a name-bearer, when Paul writes that we should pray that we would walk worthy of the name. No Christian can be prejudiced. And that means we've got to relearn things. We've got to confess those old prejudices, those old hidden resources that, that, that have taken such a hold deep in our hearts. And we who are believers, honestly, we simply cannot claim to be made in the image of God if we harbor any prejudice whatsoever. And that means we have to be objective about our own heart. It means we have to be objective about the problems in this world. And it means the truly free of prejudice man or woman has got to have a biblical outlook on racism. If I know somebody who's a racist, am I supposed to berate them for being a racist? The answer is no. I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus because they're not saved. Somebody would say, well, how do you know I'm not saved? I would say, simple. You don't love God's people. No love, no spirit. No spirit, no Jesus. And I think too often we're trying to cure problems that can't be cured. We can't fix the problem with racism. We can't fix the homelessness issue. We can't fix the the, the, the problem with broken homes and young men of all colors growing up without fathers. We can't fix those things. We have no power to do it. It's not what we've been asked to do. What we can do is tell people one-on-one -on -one about Jesus. And when he comes into their hearts, if they'll let him, when he comes into their hearts, then their racism problem be served, be solved. So, uh, you know, I, I, people, I, I'm aware that people want more hope than that. Come on, we can get over this. It's like, let's all get together and sing Kumbaya. But, but it's not going to happen that way. It never does. Jesus is the only answer for all sin, including the sin of racism, prejudice. Here's an anonymous question. I think we're inside three minutes. Uh, anonymous question. I pray a lot but there's still some sins in my life that I haven't given up. Is God hearing my prayers? The answer, Anonymous, is no. I mean, physically, he knows you're praying. 
but you have no relationship. Your relationship with God has been broken. I'm assuming you're a real Christian. What you need to do is ask why you would take time to pray about things in your life when you're unwilling to take your heart before God. Now here's something else I know about you. If there's sins in your life that you haven't given up, you're not in your Bible. Because if you're in your Bible, the, the Word of God, the sword, would be slicing and dicing and cutting so deep. And you come to a place of conviction that you just know, I've got I've to repent. But holding on to the notion that God is somehow hearing your prayers, even though there's some things you don't want to give up on, well, anybody that would tell you that is giving you false hope. So there is no relationship to be claimed that allows God to hear your prayers with unrepentant sin. So what I'd ask you to do is sit down with the Lord tonight and be honest with him about why you're not giving those things up. He knows the answers. But you need to repent. And if you will do that, truly do it, then you're going to start getting your prayers answered, which means we know he hears them. And this is the confidence we have, that if he hears our prayers, we have what we've asked for. So it's not a matter of mechanical hearing. It's a matter, it's always a matter, of where's your heart? So anonymous, important question here. What sins are worth going to hell for? Hope you answer that question. Hey, tonight I'm going to be teaching in Second Peter chapter three, the first twelve verses. Uh, prayer tomorrow morning here at Calvary Chapel from nine thirty to ten thirty, and then the pastor's class uh, dealing with racism immediately following that. Hope to see you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See you next week. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels. The word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.